0: Hi everybody, I'm Wong Shoes, and on the other line, my uh, talented co-host, hello Patricia. Hello, Walden.
1: Just for a repeat, it is April 8th, 2014, which is a Tuesday, and that means we are not live for telephone calls. So, it's important because we have a guest, Michael. Troxman, Michael has written a book that I just love. I'm going to go to bed with it. Um, Basil Rathbone, His Life and His Films, and that is one of a mountain of work that Michael has put out for us. Um, and I'll ask him to give us some information about other works that he's got in the works. In the meantime, um, welcome, Michael Drugsman.
0: Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh, this
1: is such a treat for me, and I know you know that Basil Rathbone is at the top of my, oh, gosh, I love his work. Um, Can you give us a bit about your background and how you wound up choosing Basil Rathbone as a subject?
0: Well, I'm originally from Seattle, and um, I've always been a movie buff, always loved film, but... And, you know, I, uh, always, despite my, my parents trying to talk me out of it, always intended to get into the film business, one sort or another. So right after I graduated from college, I, uh, got in my car and I drove down to Los Angeles and I stayed there for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I started writing books, you know, I, I started a public relations firm and, uh, you know, I had a lot of major clients and, uh. But it wasn't satisfying me, you know my artistic edge, and um, I uh, decided to start writing. You know, I, I, this was a time. This was the um, early '70s when the uh, the films of books were very popular. The films of Gary Cooper, the films of Clark Gable, and so I decided to do one of those. But I want, but rather than doing just essays about their films, I decided to go out and interview the people who knew the subject of my book, which was which was more fun than writing it, because I got to meet some fantastic people. Um, my first book was on Paul Muni, and director Mervyn Leroy, uh, who sort of became a, a, a second mentor to me, you know, wrote the introduction. And... So that book came out, and I was looking around for a, another a, a subject for a second book. And the, the, the novel, The 7% Solution, had just come out, and, big, and it had it become a bestseller. And uh, there was a new interest, fresh interest, in Sherlock Holmes. And so it just hit me that the perfect book, for an, uh, the perfect subject for a second book would be Basil Rathbone. And, you know, and I, although I enjoyed the Holmes films, I really enjoyed Rathbone more in the swashbucklers he did with Flynn, like Robin Hood and, and Captain Blood. And then he did uh, Marcus Zorro with Tyrone Power.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and so that was my real interest in be- Rathbone. And um, so that was my second book, and it became a bestseller in the genre. But unfortunately after about a after it'd been out of out about a year or so the publisher went out of business and whereas I had it in my contract that, you know, if they stopped publishing the book, I ha I had the opportunity to buy they they weren't you uh doing books on computers then. They were doing them on regular printing presses.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
0: had the right to buy the plates. But they, they violated the contract. They destroyed the plates for the silver contract. So the book became out of print for 35 years. And it just went, went back into print. And, and it was selling, if you went into a bookstore, you would pay as much as $100 or more for a copy of the book. Uh, so we, we, uh, my new publisher, uh, Bear, Manor, Bear Manor Media, we we took a we t- we took a copy of the book because there were no plates and and we uh, we photographed it. I wrote a new introduction and we came out with a new new version. Uh, I would say it's been out about a year or so now.
1: Uh, from the conversation we had before we started recording this interview, you mentioned that there are sections in the new book, the one thirty five years later, that. Have been amplified, particularly about Basil Rathbone's wife, and I do want to get into that. So maybe now is a good time
0: to do it. Well, well, actually, that's that's not quite true. I wrote a new introduction, and uh, the the book, with the exception of the introduction and the uh, my picture on the back cover, which is what I more what I look like today than I looked like thirty five years, <laughs> years ago. It's a pretty cool picture. Uh, 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 the book is exactly the same book that, that came out 35 years ago, or, or about 37 years ago, or whatever it is now. Uh, but I have since, you know, I, I have a collection of plays that I've written, uh, mostly one-person plays about Hollywood personalities, co- collectively called the Hollywood Legends. There's Clark Gable, Spencer Tracy, Carol Lombard, uh, Errol Flynn. And the last play I wrote for this group was a one-man play about Basil Rathbone. And there was a lot of information that I wasn't able to use in in my book, um, because at the time I wrote the book, Wita Rathbone, uh, Basil's widow, was still alive, and... If I'd said the things I found out about her in my book, she probably would have sued me. <laughs> uh, and, about a, uh, and she died uh, a, a month before the book came out. And when I, I, I'd read that she'd passed away, I called the publisher, and we were able to, once again, we weren't working with a computer. We were working with typeset, which is much more expensive to change but we were able to stick in two or three paragraphs covering her death and some of the, you know, very briefly, some of the things that people had said about her. So uh, when I wrote the play, I started going further into research. In fact, I talked to um, uh, three grandchildren, uh, Rathbone's three grandchildren, and they gave me an earful about her. And that is all uh, included in the play, which is called Rathbone, and it's available um, on Amazon for those who are interested.
1: I'm interested. Okay. I, I, I can't wait to read it. I'm going to try to separate his professional life from his personal life, but they're so integrated it's going to be difficult to do, so we'll probably wind up hopping back and forth. In his career... He hit apexes several times. Now, if, I'm, if, if I understood information about him correctly, he started in
0: silent films. Is that correct? Yes, he he he, he, he did some silent films, and the, the his um uh, in, in England, I think they were all. I, I, I have to check. It's been you know, I, I it's been a long time since I've read this but as I recall, they were done in England. The movie that brought him to fame was The Last of Mrs. Cheney, which incidentally has just been, has just been released onto DVD for the first time. Um, uh, and I've never seen it, but it was with Norma Sher, it's just been released on the DVD with, um, uh, by Warner Archives. so if anybody's interested... But, this, but it established him as a leading man, but he was not. You know, he stayed in Hollywood, and he would, really was not leading man material because the films he made, whereas that movie was a success, the films he made subsequent to that were not. And he wound up going back to New York and, and appearing on the stage, and, and then he did not come back to Hollywood until he did, was offered uh, the part in David Copperfield, and which really established him as a heavy, which he remained for most of his career.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was really, from my perspective anyway, it was a shame that he was typecast a couple of times because he had such a broad ability to make people smile. Now, where did the theater come in for him? He was a very accomplished actor in theater. Was that before movies?
0: Oh, yes, yes. He, the thing that brought him to fame uh, in the United States was a play called The Swan, which was made into a movie many years later with Grace Kelly and Alec Guinness, and uh, I think Louis Jourdan played uh, the Rathbone part. And, uh, you know, he, he became a star on the Broadway stage. Uh, and then, of course, movies beckoned. And, you know, he was in films, and he was working, I mean, he was one of the busiest actors in the business during the 30s. And, um, he, you know, then he made the, and he freelanced. And, you know, so so he would go into a picture, you know, at all the different studios. I remember Errol Flynn was always unhappy, because he was the star of the movie, and, Ra- and Rathbone was making much more money than him, because Flynn was under contract, and Rathbone was coming in as a, uh, as a freelance actor, and made more, money, you know, a much bigger salary. Uh-huh. Rathbone's career sort of took a dive uh, when he when he finally signed a contract with MGM. Uh, it was the beginning of the war, and he wanted to uh, he wanted to have a, a guaranteed income because he wanted, you know, to do war work, you know, uh, uh, do his. You more know, effort, yeah. More effort work. And um, so he signed with MGM, and, and they put him in junk. I mean, really lousy. You know, at, before he had worked at MGM and he'd done um, Anna Karenia, he had done David Copperfield, he had done A Tale of Two Cities, he had, he had done um, Romeo and Juliet, for which he'd been nominated for Academy Award, he played Tibble. Uh, and and other films, but you know, once he signed, they started sticking him in these B movies, and then he had done, you know, the two prior to this, the two Sherlock Holmes films for Fox, and then Universal wanted to do a, the modern day for in the nineteen forties series of Holmes films, and had he been free, he could have, you know, so MGM. As part of his contract, loaned him to uh, to Universal to do the the Holmes films, which were B movies, and so he did twelve of those. You know, if he had been freelance, and and he could have gotten much more money for doing. It. But you know, Michael, why did they
1: why did MGM first cast him in what you would consider junk movies? The man was brilliant, and he had such a track record. Probably
0: because. They didn't, you know. They he he they wanted, you know. the Studios wanted, you know. Good actors under, sal- you know. The, they figured they'd use him, uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, it'd be, so w- why not have him under contract for a flat fee, and w- then we can use him wherever we want him. And uh, I mean, I think the best movie he made when he was with MGM, was a picture with uh, Fred McMurray and Joan Crawford called Above Suspicion. Um, but once again, you know, in fact, it's, I think in all the movies, he, uh, he, pl- he played the heavy. Yeah. He did, did for MGM.
1: When you say junk movies, the first thing that popped into my head was that if the companies, if the the um, production companies were making junk movies, they needed something to make them more popular and get people into yeah. the theaters, and well, that might have been Basil well, Rathbone. Is well, that this, a reasonable?
0: This, this, this is, well, you know, he, but he was. They always, pl- I'm sure, planned to use him as a supporting player. This was a time in Hollywood when the when the you have to remember bef- before the consent decree, where the stu- the studios lost the theaters. You know, it used to be. Uh, and, and I think that happened in the late '40s. Uh, you know, I, but you have you know the studios had this made the movies, released the movies, and owned the theaters. And they had to to each of the major studios to keep their theaters full. You know, new new product had to turn out a certain amount of movies every year. And so, it, you know, I mean, not every one of them is going to be. Uh, Uh, gone with the wind or what have you know and to keep their costs down uh, reasonable you had a certain amount of actors and directors and writers under contract this this is you know Mm -hmm. actors really didn't come into their own until the studio system started to to fail and and in the late 40s early 50s and actors were convinced you know were were found themselves without contracts and they they went out and made their own deals, and you know, yeah. the better, the bigger the name, the the um, the more money could they can command. I think the first, if I'm not, I think I'm correct in saying that that the first major deal, and was a percentage deal. I think Jimmy Stewart took a, a minimum, I like you know scale or whatever it was, and a percentage of the picture for Winchester seventy three at Universal, and and. It was a huge hit and he made a fortune um but rathbone was never in that position you know and he made a lot of enemies when he in what was it 46 i think it was or i'm not sure on the date uh he quit you know his his mgm contract was up he was doing the the holmes radio show at the same time uh, as he he was making movies and he quit he said i'm not going to do it anymore uh because I, I and I think the thing that really put it over the top was they cast him in this picture with red skeleton called Bathing Beauty, <laughs> which is atrocious. Esther Williams was in it, and uh and Basil Rathbone was in there, yeah, and the end of oh god and the the end of the movie he gets thrown into a swimming pool in 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 white tie and tails as I recall. I've only seen it once it's a, you know i I've yeah. never been a big red skeleton fan, but uh yeah. So that
1: was before he threw in the towel and said, "I'm going yes, back to Peter." Uh, that theater. was, the,
0: I think, <clears throat> you know, the last movie he made for Metro, and then he, mm-hmm. he, he, uh, he, then he did the la- and he, you know, Universal's and uh, well, the, the radio show. They, they wanted to continue continue the radio show and the the Holmes movies, but he he said no. And Lou Wasserman, and you'll read this in my play. Uh, Lou Wasserman said to him, "If if you do this, because Lou Wasserman was then the uh, head, the top agent in MCA, uh, he says if you do this, you will never work in another important uh, you uh, have an important role in, in another important picture in this town." And Rathbone went back to New York, and he did a couple plays. Then he did *The Heiress*, for which he won the Tony. And when they made the movie, they used Ralph Richardson in his part, who had done the show in London, rather than Rathbone. And uh, oh boy, yeah, and you know that's and Olivia Halden, of course, won the Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he did he he did do some major films, uh, uh, but not not really. They were. Locked They're not great films, but, they were. you know, he did a picture with Bogart uh, called um, We're No Angels. He did The the Court Jester with Danny Kaye, which was terrific. You know, he did um, the last major film he did, but he only had a small role, was The Last Hurrah with uh, Spencer Tracy. And then he started doing, you know, the horror movies, you know, for the Roger Corman movies.
1: Yeah. Would you describe... Basil Rathbone as a man, as a person, aside from his acting and the evolution he went through from the time he arrived from England to work in the States through his second marriage with Wida.
0: Can you break that question down (laughs) in smaller parts?
1: I, I certainly can, but you know, I mean you talk about I mean you're writing me
0: um, you want me to write an essay here. Yes,
1: yes, you talk about a macro approach
0: here. Okay. Describe that, the history of the world.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Would you do that? Okay. When Basil Rathbone came to America to begin his act and began his acting career, what was he like as a person?
0: I think he was very insecure um he uh you know he was just interested in the acting he really didn't wasn't career conscious and he met Wita, and and wea uh was not what she pretended to be uh what what she wanted the world to think um as you will read in my play uh and which I couldn't say in this book but Wita. Had been married once or twice before. She was, her name was not really Wida. You know she, the background, her public background was not what it was. What it re, was not authentic. Authentic, which I actually I didn't find out until I started researching the play. In fact, was, you know I actually stumbled across that, and which was one of the reasons I decided to write the play. But uh, any, but she. Believed in him, she, you know, came up with a career pan, pan, plat, career path for him. Um, and she's the one who, who wanted to go to him to go to Hollywood. She negotiated a great deal for him, and I. They were in Hollywood for a few years, you know, doing Les Mis, Cheney and, and those films. He wanted to go back to New York and worked in the theater, and I think they had sort of a falling out, uh, you know, a bit of a uh, dispute on... She, she she, liked the Hollywood life, uh, you know, because it's it's very glamorous.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: in fact, when she, when um, he went back to New York, Thalberg, Irving Thalberg of MGM, was sort of pissed off at him for uh, uh, his, uh, you know, walking away from... I forget the movie. Oh, uh, there was a movie that he was supposed to do. I can't remember the name of it, but John Barrymore did it instead. So when he came back a few years later with um, David Copperfield, you know, he was always from that point on in the important films. He was always a supporting. It was always supporting roles. He, except for the Holmes movies, and maybe a couple. Well, he did Son of Frankenstein, which he didn't want to do, but he did had to do it for the money, which for me, is the best of all the Frankenstein uh, movies. Uh, But, you know, he had to work for the money because she kept spending it. And uh, she was very difficult. She was very spoiled. She, uh, I don't know if we have we talked about this before that was it before we went on the air that she really was responsible for the breakup between he and his son um, he had been uh he had been married before in England and he and whereas she was instrumental in a reunion bringing the boy when he was a teenager to Hollywood um uh and, and living with him, when the boy got married, uh, she was the cause of the uh, split uh, because she wanted to give the, the, uh, the, uh, the son and his, his new wife a house for, as a wedding gift, but she wanted to de- decorate it. And the, the bride wanted to de- uh, decorate her own house, and um, they didn't speak for years. In fact, the grandchildren who I interviewed for my play, uh, one of them had never met their grandfather, and two of them had only met him once. It was a very awkward situation.
1: How sad. It was. How sad. And he always
0: deferred to her. He always deferred to her.
1: You know, that's, that's anathema to the character we see on the screen, he was strong, he was decisive, no matter what role he was in, he was a very strong person. and what you're telling us is that in private
0: life, he
1: was not that way
0: yeah that's that's uh, that's true and um, that's true he was uh, He was very likable, people liked him, but nobody really liked her.
1: Isn't that interesting, Jack Benny yeah. all over again, huh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: they didn't. They didn't like her because they knew that she was a facade as opposed to a, an authentic person.
0: Well, you know, these parties. Um, she was. A, she was a cold person. She. She, um, she was a cold person, and. Uh, they, they made fun of her, but these parties behind uh, behind her back. They didn't uh, mind coming to the parties, though. Well, they'd come to the parties, you know, because I mean, you know, you know, they'd had uh, Yasha Heifetz playing, and they they'd have you know major, you know, you know, I mean, they were major, major, the, the the most talked about parties in the town. And if you were in Hollywood society, you would always go to these parties.
1: Yasha Heifetz. Yeah. Wow. That's a party. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a cotillion. It is a White House event. My I gosh. Know. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? So, when he left the Sherlock Holmes, and I want to talk about Sherlock Holmes in a minute, but when he left and bailed out of the Sherlock Holmes persona or thought he could, because he was afraid of being typecast. He was already typecast. Um, you know, he didn't have anything to worry about. It was a, a done deal. In radio, he went to, and this was like mm, forty-one, forty-two. he went to a radio show that was sponsored by Fatima Cigarettes. And the name of the show was Fatima. And you know how many times Fatima was mentioned in there. And it was supposed to be a lighthearted mystery And it was an absolute catastrophe. The man was, I mean, it it makes, it pains me when I listen to this show. (laughs) I have a collection of really awful shows, and these two, there are only two surviving, four, I guess, four surviving episodes, and all four of them will bring you to tears. Now, what happened when he moved out of Sherlock Holmes that he would settle for such an awful situation
0: well he well he didn't leave Sherlock Holmes until uh, the second half of the 40s second half okay so 46 47 something like that This
1: makes it even worse
0: they did try to do a Sherlock Holmes play in New York it lasted three performances Uh, we wrote it and it was supposed to have been terrible um uh but you know, he was at a point where he had to take, you know, because of her spending, he had to take anything that came along. I mean, why would the man do of his caliber do a movie like Ghost in the Invisible Bikini or Hail Billy's yes. Haunted House? Yes. You know, if he didn't need the money. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he, uh, he did theater. I have, I, I picked up on eBay uh, a few months ago. I've got a program signed by him and the rest of the cast. Of a production of the Winslow Boy, he had done in Chicago, and uh, you know an autograph thing. Which, um, uh, but he was doing plays all the time. He he did this one man show. He was t- he he, he toured colleges, uh, but it, you know he died of a heart attack. He, he she he it, he worked himself to death to support her. Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, we did tight casting in Fatima. I I just. It, it just breaks my heart when I think about what he settled for after the Sherlock Holmes series.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, he he didn't have a choice.
1: No, I, I realize that now. I didn't recognize it um, fully. I suspected it, but I didn't recognize it fully, that it, it was strictly a financial thing. Yeah. And I didn't know how bad the financial end of it was until I read your book, which, incidentally, is Basil Rathbone, His Life and His Films by Michael Druxman. We're talking with Michael right now. We are not live, so no phone calls. I'm sorry, folks. Um, But if you have any questions, if you email me, and I'll give you my email later. Everybody knows my email. Um, I will forward them to him. Can we talk a little bit about Nigel Bruce and the magic he had
0: with Basil Rathbone? Oh, they were very, very good friends. Uh, uh, But the friendship ended when uh, Basil quit uh, Holmes because, you know, that that, that knocked Bruce out of a job, too. Um, Tom Conway... uh, um, uh, George Saunders' brother took over the part of Holmes on radio briefly. But still, you know, it was uh, Bruce didn't work that much after Holmes. Um, but, you know, they would uh, uh, be in the radio uh, the radio uh, studio and the director would give, give them a direction that they didn't like and they'd throw donuts at the window. <laughs> you know, donuts at the director, you know, be in the directing booth.
2: Yes,
0: uh, they would mix up. You know, uh, Bruce would go out of the room, uh, and uh, Basil would write dirty, dirty words in his script while I was gone. Which <laughs> was frustrating. You know, I I didn't realize that. You know, I, one of my publicity clients for many years was Gail Gordon. You know, from the Lucille Ball show. Mm-hmm. And I started working on this book, and one day he said, to "Why why aren't you talking to me?" And I said. Uh, what are you talking about? He says, I was Inspector Lestrade on the uh, Sherlock Holmes radio show. And uh, so he gave me a lot of these stories, you know, about uh, what, between, you know, the things that, that went on mm-hmm. between the two of them. But I talked to, you know, like the, the director of the show. I talked to um, the, the producer of, of several of the films. And it was a very close relationship until uh, Rathbun quit.
1: Is that something that Rathbone would have discussed with Nigel Bruce before he did it?
0: I honestly, do. I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know. You yeah, probably, I realize
1: I would be asking for an educated guess on you, this yeah, one. Yeah,
0: you, you, you realize that uh, that Rathbone was had been had passed away what eight nine years before I even started on this book. So, yes. So uh, the closest I could come was talking to Wita and. Um, she was not the world's greatest interview, you know either,
1: yeah, yeah, I can yeah. imagine that
0: I mean <laughs> yeah, got she was not two a good
1: to, to yeah. uh, support there yeah that's interesting. The practical jokes really amused me um, Basil Rathbone was an athletic person, and one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that among your favorite works that he put out. Were the swashbuckling movies where he crossed swords with Tyrone Power, and
0: Errol he was Flint.
1: actually from—and this is from my memory—I believe he was an expert fencer.
0: He was considered the best of all the swordsmen in uh, in Hollywood. He, who did these swashbucklers? He he could have killed Tyrone Power and Errol Flynn in a second if they were if they were going at it for real. He was he he. Um, there was nobody better than basil until he he came up against danny Kaye in the in the corchester uh because basil you know was getting on in years and and, and danny you know was very quick and there were there are some shots where basil was doubled in that movie in in their final uh sword fight really yeah yeah which is a fun movie. You know, I think it's it's my favorite Danny Kaye movie of anything he ever did. i say it's a very, you know, uh, the vessel with the pestle, you know. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a hysterical movie, and it's got a great score, and uh, I think it's probably Danny Kaye's most popular movie.
1: Wow. Yeah. Now, he did television as well.
0: Yes, he did um, The Lark on TV, I believe. Uh, he did The Lark wait wait i wait wait, wait wait let me uh, I'm not sure if he did the lark i'd have to, that i'd have to, you know once again it's been a while since i've even looked at the book and but he did do a lot of t v mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of um uh playoff ninety type of stuff you know the uh, the, the live television he yes. did a lot of that he did a i i know he did a doctor there, which was very popular um but I'd, I'd have to go, I'd have to sum through thumb through the book. Yeah,
1: well, uh, not, not really. you got to remember, just... I
0: wrote this 40 years ago, <laughs> and and two years ago, without really rereading it, you know, we came out with, but I didn't really reread it, you know, because yes. we just photographed yeah. the book, I and I wrote an introduction.
1: My God, with 30 books and another one and plays. Why would you read something that's been <laughs> published already? It, you know, it. it you're Usually, time, when I you know? finish
0: something, unless there is a reason to go back with it, to go back to it, I never look at it again.
1: That's a familiar phrase to our listeners. I have said so many times. Once I write something, I never yeah. go back to it. Like I don't want right to know now, what an
0: editor did to it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm. Um, uh, you know, right now I'm working with some some voice actors about doing uh, some of my plays on audio. Uh-huh. Uh, we already have um, my Orson Welles play and my Clara Bow play are already on audio. And uh, I'm talking to uh, this one actor about doing Basil Rathbone. And uh, so I'll, I will go back to the play version and and uh, because I'm going to direct him over the, you know, d- direct it. And, uh, but unless there's a reason, you know, I have to mm-hmm. look up something or whatever, I don't look at these but you know
1: yeah I, I, I you know I, I understand yeah just I mean it's it's finished you're a forward thinker and yeah. you're working on a current project working right, which backwards, I'm not going to tell
0: thing. you what it is I beg your pardon <laughs> which I'm not going to tell you what it is because <laughs> That's it's, right. you know it's, an, it's another hollywood story yeah. you've
1: got more in the works so right. we just have to we have to watch for your name because you're not sharing anything else about it. In 1939, Basil Rathbone did some work with Lux Radio Theater. Sherlock Holmes, he did 275 episodes of Sherlock Holmes. He did the movies in 1942. He was in silent films. He made the transition to television. That is an extraordinary career. Yes, it is. I, I it it's mind-boggling to recognize that a single person can go from from theater and silence and all the way through to television and still wind up doing B-class work
0: because well, that's what you he go, had to accept. You, you go where the work is.
1: You go where it's, the it, work it, is.
0: You know, I mean when I, you know, I after I quit my uh my PR business, you know, I wanted just to write and and you know, uh, Somebody comes to me with a I want you to write this movie script and you know it's not a subject that really interests me but they're paying my fee I got to pay my bills I'll write the script you know and it it's you you mm-hmm. go where the work is
1: I understand that, that
0: part That's
1: I mean truly you you're in a fragile business
0: Yeah Yeah it's uh you know, luckily, you know, I'm 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 essentially retired now, and mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I write what I want to write. I mean, if somebody calls me up, which they do, you know, uh, fairly often, and they say, "I want you to write this, I'll pay you," or "I uh, I want your input on this," I I, I do a lot of story conferences.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I mean, uh
2: Writers you know, conference.
0: writer, writer will call me in and and have me critique his story, so you know what what it needs that kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I uh, I do these um you know, I do comic cons where I I have my books. I I, I talk to groups. I'm going to do uh, I'm going up to Gainesville, Texas next month. They're having a writers you know, for writers and mm-hmm. writers you know, conference. And then um in September I'm going to um McKinney, Texas. They're having uh the spirit of the cowboy festival, where I'm, you know, I've written a, a western that is has a big following. Called, it's 20 years old, it's called Cheyenne Warrior, and uh, you know, so uh, uh, <laughs>
1: eclectic. You yeah.
0: were you you have the word eclectic tattooed on your chest. Well, you yeah. know, I love westerns. I've uh-huh. only written one, but it's my that and gangster movies are my favorite genres. Oh I mean, my I wrote goodness. a film called which they screwed up, but it, called Dillinger and Capone. And and uh, when I went to Chicago a couple years ago for the first time, the first place I said, I want to go to the Biograph Theater where they shot Dillinger. <laughs> 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 you know, I like going where these things happen.
1: <laughs> oh, boy, another tourist.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, that's fun. That you is. know,
0: I, last uh, May, uh, they did my Carol Lombard play in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is uh-huh. her hometown. They flew me in. And one of the things, aside from her child at home that I visited, I went out to the cemetery and looked at the grave, you know, took a picture of the grave of Homer Van Meter, who ran with Dillinger and is buried there. You know, he, he, was, he was a member of the Dillinger uh-huh. gang, And the thing that I couldn't believe is there were fresh flowers on the grave. Oh, <laughs> and, my. And he's been dead since the 30s.
1: Somebody remembers. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. I have a Bugsy Siegel story for you later.
0: Oh well, you know my con- connection with Bugsy Siegel, don't you? No. I used to live in, a, uh, in Agoura, California. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I live yeah. in Austin, Texas now. By the way, I didn't know you were there. But one of my neighbors was a guy by the name of Eddie Canizero, and my <laughs> f- and he he was known in the. Do you know this story? No. No. Uh, this is true. He, he was known, he had been in the, had something to do with the mob years before. We're talking early 70s. Uh, and he was known in the neighborhood because he loved cats. And he'd, every night at 6 o'clock he'd go up this one corner and cats would congregate and he'd feed them. So my first book had come out, my book on Paul Muni. And I was sort of, a, you know, a minor celebrity in the neighborhood. And, and one day there's a knock on the door and it's Eddie. And he says, I'd like to talk to you about something. I want to do a book about my years with the mafia. And I said, well, you know, Eddie, The Godfather came out last year. Godfather Two is coming out next year. And there's been 20 million books on the mob. Unless you have something really sensational to say, I, uh, you know, I don't think there's a market for a book on the, on the mafia anymore. And he says, well, what if I told you that I was the guy that pulled the trigger on Bugsy Siegel? (laughs)
1: That'll work.
0: And I said, you know, this is something you don't really want to (laughs) know.
1: No.
0: (laughs) And I said, well, Eddie, are you aware that there's no statute of limitations on murder? He said, no, I didn't know that. You're not going to say anything about this. (laughs) Anyway. We—I never saw. I—I I don't think I ever saw it again. Eddie again, and I—you know—over the years, I would tell this story, oh, you know, at cocktail parties or you yeah. know, things like that. And then Eddie died in the '80s, and it was let's see Siegel, Siegel was killed in '47, I believe. So in 1997, uh, the LA Times ran this big front-page story on um, the bu- still and solve Bugsy Siegel and, and story, <laughs> you know, and a huge story. And in there they talked about Eddie Canizzaro had evidently made a deathbed con- confession to, um, to uh, uh, I think it was the Herald Examiner, which was no longer in existence. Yeah. Um, so I wrote a letter to the Times telling them the story that I just told you, mm-hmm. and the, the, the uh, they printed it in full, and all of a sudden, my phone doesn't stop ringing, I, you know, I mean, CNN came out, interviewed <laughs> me, I, they put me on this show, Mystery and Scandals, which, uh, uh, Hollywood Mysteries and Scandals, which, uh, you know, they did one on Bugsy Siegel, and I also got a call from... <laughs> the Beverly Hills Police Department, uh, where the it's still an open case. Oh, my. And they said, what did he tell you? <laughs> and the cop told me that, you know, they were aware of They said, look, if if he didn't pull the trigger, he had to be there because he knew things that he wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah.
2: You
0: know, so, in fact, I, I even co-authored a book called Family Secret about the, you know, the Bugsy Siegel thing. And I, I wrote a short story based on, it's in my book, uh, Dracula Meets, it's a book of short stories I wrote called Dracula Meets Jack the Ripper and Other Revisionist Histories. And it's uh, <laughs> one of the stories is a fictionalization of this encounter with, which, you know, I expand on it, uh, yeah. on this thing with with uh, Eddie. But anyway. Uh, so what's your what's your Bugsy Siegel story?
1: Uh, no, I, I'll tell you off air.
0: Okay. <laughs> that, that's bad, huh?
1: <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, as you said. you say, did it. You're the one who really did it. No, <laughs> I no, I, I am not a gun person. <laughs> I promise. I wouldn't have even tripped him. Okay. <laughs> Unreal. Well, and, you know, maybe we ought to do a separate show on the on the gangsters
0: too. I'd be. I love uh, chatting about. Oh know, my goodness, like that stuff.
1: that is just so cool. Tell me in in Basil Rathbone's entire career which do you think was his best era and which
0: is your favorite well obviously he made his best pictures in the 30s Mm -hmm. that's when all the all the great films were made uh i would say that uh i love robin hood the adventures of robin hood um i like him in anna karenina um I like I love Sound of Frankenstein. I think that's a fun movie. Uh, so I, I would say those are my... Um, and Marcus Oro. But, my, you know, I think I said that my, my interest in Rathbone was not so much the Sherlock Holmes, but the Swashbucklers. Mm-hmm. You know, so...
1: And that, and that was your favorite. He did some children's recordings. Yes. And I've listened to some of them. He also... <clears throat> excuse me, did a recording, a radio show, excuse me, of
0: um, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, and he was Scrooge. Yeah. Well, he did a musical on uh, on television, uh, this, in fact, I have that on DVD, it's uh-huh. The Stingiest Man in Town. Yeah, and, and I, you, you did mention that in the book,
1: but his, right. radio, his, his voice recordings, I thought, were dead. They had... The I'm, I'm guessing that I needed to see him perform this. He did some children's work. Um, he did Mr. Toad from Wind in the Willow and a couple
2: well, of other on things, the some,
0: some fairy tales. Hmm? He, the way, Disney made a movie called Ichabod and Mr. Toad,
2: uh-huh. and, and
0: he narrated the Mr. Toad uh, section of that. How I did think. he do well, I enjoyed the movie. Bing Crosby did Ichabod, the Ichabod story, uh, you know, uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I thought it was fine. Um, uh, you know, I have not listened to a lot of his recordings, to yeah. be honest with you. Uh, the focus of the book was uh, on his films. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the TV shows and the um, and the recordings were mm-hmm. secondary. You
1: yeah, know. his actual and acting. Was, and
0: this was also done back in a time written in a time when there was no home video so the way I there were so many movies of his that I wasn't able to see um, I, you know I was I I had contacts at the Los Angeles television stations had friends there so some I would say could you schedule this and this and this and they'd schedule these these movies for me so I could watch them at <laughs> At yeah. home. And that, and otherwise, this one station, I forget which one it was, they would let me go into their screening room and they'd, let, they'd give me a 60-millimeter projector and they'd let me run the movies there. So, the, you know, the, and then, you know, I rented some films. Mm-hmm. But it, um, there were a lot of things. The, 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 like, I've never seen The Last of Mrs. Cheney, uh, and, uh, which... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's coming out on DVD, or I think it's just been released on DVD. Um, I'd never seen the Bishop Murder case where he played Philo Vance. I caught that on um, TV a few months ago, and I'm, it's one of those pictures that I, I don't really want to ever see again because it's really <laughs> a terrible picture. It's, you know, uh, Rathbone on film was not a good leading man. I don't believe. I think he, he was a, mu- he was much more effective. As a heavy, because his, te- you know, he probably was a better leading man on the stage than on film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, there's a strident quality to his voice, which doesn't go well with a. There's not a soft. He, he's. Not, he, he. It was difficult for him to play soft. If you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, even his physical characteristics, his profile, for example is or was very sharp and very stark two which... umbrellas stuck
0: together pardon two umbrellas stuck together <laughs> that's what the Wisconsin actress <laughs> Constance Collier I believe said it oh my <laughs> yeah.
1: and poor man that poor man but he didn't look like a, a leading man either so that was a strike against him
0: right uh, on stage he could you know he could play leading men mm-hmm. you know uh, but not on film yeah yeah wow well,
1: how about the un American Activities Committee? Did he get caught up in that at no, all? No, not
0: that I'm aware. I, I never heard of that.
1: Okay, there were so many in Hollywood who got well. One caught... of
0: my ex former clients was one of the Hollywood Ten, Edward Dimitrix, the director. Wow. You know, Bad time. Do a show on him.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: Represented <laughs> for many
1: years. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I should be making a list here. You're going to have to come back seven times.
0: What?
1: Sure. B movie. Tell me about B movie.
0: Your work. Okay. B movie is a, is a play I finished about a month or so ago. It's, a, it's been published by, and it's available on Amazon. It's a story of what was probably the most sordid Hollywood scandal of the 1950s, first half of the 1950s. Uh, certainly, you know, the, it was, uh, knocked, it was it knocked off the throne when on the Marilyn Monroe, not uh, the Lana Turner, Johnny Stampinato. Uh, killing but it, it deals with uh, leading man French Antoine very dapper leading man used to be married to Joan Crawford uh, you know did movies like Mutiny on the Bounty and um, Lives of a Bengal Lancer you know many things like that um, who fell for uh, blonde bombshell actress Barbara Payton who's. Probably best-known film is a Jimmy Cagney movie called Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. Uh, a tone met her, fell for her. Uh, but, but Barbara Payton, shall we say... uh you what's can the, say well, it. Go ahead is, say is, it. Is this in a, a, a family show?
1: It's a family show, so you can get the message across okay. without using Shall we word? say
0: she uh, slept around? There you go, okay um uh, I mean if you've come across she, she kept confidential magazine, which was the scandal magazine of a day in business, I have come across so many covers where she uh of that magazine where she's on on the front cover involved with bob hope guy madison uh, uh, you know many other people um uh, but she did movies. She a movie with Gregory Peck. She did a movie with uh, Gary Cooper. But she had this terrible reputation. And, uh, but Tone fell for her. And then she got involved one day when uh, Tone was back east, uh, um, on business. He was a very wealthy man, independently wealthy, uh, with a B-picture actor by the name of Tom Neal who's probably uh, best-known film was a B-movie called Detour, which is considered a minor film noir classic. Um, and she got involved with him, and, you know, it's a very wild relationship, and Tone comes back, and one day she's going with Tone, one day she's going with Neil, and then uh, one night the three of them get together, and and... Neil beats uh, beats uh, tone to a bloody pulp, and ter- uh, overnight turns him into a character actor. <laughs> it was that bad. Tone essentially I, I mean, later, uh, very quickly after that, married Peyton. It lasted 53 days because she was go she kept going back to Neil, and. Uh, <laughs>
1: All right, I can see why it knocked
0: everything out. Oh yeah, eventually, you know, Tone moved back to New York and ha- continued to have a very f- good career as an actor. Barbara Payton, you know, was and Tom Neal were bl- blacklisted. Uh, she uh, got into drugs, was arrested for pr- prostitution. Tom Neal left left Hollywood, moved to Palm Springs, became a gardener. Several years later. He, he, uh, was pro- he was uh, prosecuted, first-degree murder, although they convicted him on a le- lesser charge for murdering his wife. Spent eight years in prison. Um, the only personal contact I had was well, shortly after I moved to Hollywood. Uh, I lived in an apartment building in Barbara Payton with my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Never met her, used to see her around the pool.
1: Boy, you're good. You got Barbara
0: Payton. You got the Mafia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a very colorful.
1: <laughs> we need to follow you. You around. know, I've,
0: re- I've let. I, 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 I've. I've had, You know, I, I consider myself lucky because I've led a very. I've had a very interesting life. I've met a lot of. Got to know a lot of. Interesting, well-known people. Yeah, I've written two memoirs. You know, uh, uh, one's called My Forty Five Years in Hollywood and How I Escaped Alive, and the other is called. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Hollywood. So <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one.
1: I wanted to talk about your play, Rathbone, but before we do that, I don't want to miss an opportunity to ask you about Basil Rathbone's grandchildren. Tell me what your thoughts are about them.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I, um, when I decided to do the play, I wanted to get more depth on them uh, than, uh, than I did on this book, uh, on, on him. So, I, I had I had originally made contact because uh, the the grandson had contacted me several years ago. Wanted to, to get a copy. I, I before this new book came out, uh, the the new version of mm-hmm. uh, paperback. I had photocopied one of my books, copies of the book, and I advertised. And you know people. Would buy it directly from me. It was not a published book, but I, it was a photocopy of mm-hmm. the the hardback. And he contacted me because his son was going to play Tybalt, his grandfather's role in uh, or his great grandfather's role in a school play. So I, you know, I sold him a copy of the book, and mm-hmm. I, I, so I, I, had kept his email, and I copied, I, I, I contacted him, and I told him what I was doing, and he gave me a very nice interview. He put me in touch with his two sisters. They gave me a very nice interview, and um, there was no relation. As I said, uh, the two girls had met him. Uh, one, um, one, one of them had, had gone backstage when he was doing JB on Broadway, and uh, he, he was very nice to her and all that, didn't see her again the other had gone up to the apartment and met wita and uh uh you know for two hours and couldn't stand her She <laughs> another one when he was in 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 hollywood doing i i guess it was ghost in the invisible bikini uh one of the daughters had called him wanted was in hollywood wanted to get together with him and he I think was embarrassed at what he was doing there, and he he put her off. But that was the only contact they ever had with their grandfather. The the families did not talk. I mean, it was after this break and uh, I guess it was in the late thirties, early forties. The father and son, and the, they just went their separate ways. And he, because of WIDA, you know, he uh, in deference to Wita, he he had no contact with his son anymore.
1: What about
0: the two daughters? Oh, you mean the granddaughters?
1: No, he had an adopted daughter. Oh, oh,
0: you're talking about Cynthia? Uh,
1: yes.
0: Cynthia uh, died shortly after Basil, I, and it's all been very vague. But the feeling is that it was a drug related because she couldn't stand. Her. We we just drove her to it. Mm. She did. She, you know, and Basil. Uh, was her salvation, and then he died, and there was nobody to protect her. And, and now, now, nobody, you know, has said this definitely to me, but that's the implication what people believe that it was uh, a drug related thing. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah.
1: Do you think, and this is opinion again, I understand, was Basil Rathbone. A happy person a sad person mad um satisfied content give me an adjective
0: i don't think he was a happy person no i think he was happy when he worked was working on the stage um i think uh i think wita uh made uh, you know he he acquiesced to Wida because it was easier that way
1: so he surrendered his personality
0: yeah yeah, he's. Uh, um, there is some talk that you know he was not uh, he was not completely faithful to her in Hollywood. Um, I have not been able to verify. You know, yeah, there, I almost there, want to cheer for him. Yeah, yeah, um, I've heard of you know make a great play. In fact, I was thinking of doing what would of. Uh, there was a very famous actress that uh, he may have been involved with, I, and, uh, but I, I'm not sure. I've been hesitant to to do anything with it because uh, I'm not 100 percent Yeah. Sure. And uh, one thing, I, you know, I like I like my my work to be yeah. I take dramatic license, but it's <laughs> got to be basically true. You don't want Eddie. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> He's got
1: friends. All right, tell me about the play Rathbone that's available on Amazon.
0: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a one-person play, and it takes place, uh, I would say, about a year before his death, and he's in Hollywood making Ghost of the Invisible Bikini, and this um, on the phone to him giving him Cirrus, you know Cirrus, <laughs> and um, uh, then he thinks back on his life, and he begins to. Uh, we learn things about Wita, you know. He, you know, he begins to realize that um, this is not. You know, she is not what she, He's always believed her to be, and but there's no. At this point in his life, what is he going to do? He's, um, you know, he's come to the end. You know, where's he going to go? Yeah. He's just got to go on, but it's it's essentially a a a, a oral bi- biography of him, Mm -hmm. and uh, Weta is, shall we say, the villainous for the piece.
1: Did he acquiesce to her so often and so consistently because he loved her or because she had such a towering personality?
0: Or other. I would say other. (laughs) You know, but, you know, he defied her a couple, you know, but when she didn't want him to quit uh, Rathbone. I mean they were making a very good living mm-hmm. you know with him doing rathbone but but you know and he defied her in the um in the early thirties when he uh he quit Hollywood and went back you know to to um uh new york he was happiest doing theater and um uh but I, I, I don't, you know, I. I Hard to know. I, yeah, it's a, I, I think, you know, he had accepted his situation. Hmm.
1: The old You Made Your Bed.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay, so Play Rathbone. that's the title of the play, Rathbone is available on Amazon. B- it's also movie.
0: on Kindle, too.
1: And all, 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 all my course. plays
0: are available on Kindle.
1: On Kindle, hooray. Yeah. How about Nook? How does Nook tie into that?
0: Well, uh, Nook is uh, Nook is a different system. I um uh, I I think the only book of mine that's on Nook is uh, the Dracula meets Jack the Ripper and other revisions histories. So I uh, um I tried to put start putting some of my stuff on Nook, but uh, my publisher put the, that that one on, but mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a totally different system and you know, dealing with the uh changing the files and all that sort of stuff, yeah. is, you know, it's I yeah. get more important things to do.
1: <laughs> well, I'm important. I have a nook.
0: I'm sorry. Well, you can you can you can download Dracula I means Jack the Ripper. That my
1: my ears just perked up when you said that. That that'll be good. We have been talking with Michael Druxman about Basil Rathbone and other life experiences. And my gosh, you've had a bunch. He is um, the author of Basil Rathbone: His Life and His Films. It's available on Amazon. It's available. Through BearMannerMedia dot our audience um, has heard that name before. We've we've had several people because of the genre that uh, Bear Manor, um you know, the eras I guess, and uh, the genres that they carry. So you can find his book at BearMannerMedia That's like just like a teddy bear, BearMannerMedia and amazon.com Michael, what should I have asked you that I didn't?
0: I can't think of a thing. You know, I mean, well, uh, you know, I, like you say, uh, we, should, you know, you want it, we should do a show on gangsters. We should do a <laughs> <laughs> I, I, But I on that really one, I can't think of a thing.
1: I really want to do the gangsters.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being with us. And boy, did I trounce on our time.
0: Um, yes. Did it, this thing run full or do you're going to have to edit it down? No, we don't. Oh.
1: It'll okay. run the whole thing. The whole thing? The whole thing. Oh, my thing. God. Oh. And it it has been <laughs> What did
0: I say? Did I say anything I shouldn't have said? No,
1: you didn't say anything <laughs> bad. <laughs> <laughs> we would have gone oops. No oops there.
0: No oops. Um, maybe okay. Barbara
1: Payton, but, you know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> By the way, the name of the play is B-movie. I'm very proud of it. I hope uh, your readers will take a, a read to it.
1: I, I think that would be terrific. Um, Michael, thank you so much. Walden, if Michael stays on the phone, can we have some off
0: recording time? You bet. So hold on. audience, we're just going to play a radio show. And Patricia and I will join you after the radio show. So here is a broadcast.